boot camp series. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I just want to share with you a couple things that we can learn about the enemy and how we can be victorious. And uh, Sister Calvet's going to sing for us through, uh, after uh, the message as well as the Anderson ladies. Uh, the, uh, the passage in Genesis 3 gives us just a little glimpse on how the enemy works as we're in this warfare. So I was I was doing some research. This is going to be tough for me. I'm going to have to walk with this. But I was doing some research on how military uh, campaigns are launched. And one of the things, I think I shared this with you before, there's an intelligence that's sent out and gathered before and during and even after a war. And so like groups like Germany has the BND, um, Great Britain has MI6, um, Israel has the Mossad, um, France, I can't pronounce the, the name of their secret service. Of course, in the United States, we have the CIA, among other things. We have, also have the NAS. We also have Homeland Security. We also have military have their own security, their own secret service where they go out and do intelligence gathering before a war. No one just dives into a war. You don't, you don't just say, we're going to declare war on China. No, no. What, there's like 5 billion people over there. <laughs> you know, they could just keep sending troops. I don't know if it's that many. It's probably more like 3 billion. But who's counting? After a couple billion, what difference does it make? You know, it's a lot of people, more than we have. So um, what they do is they send out guys and they compromise intelligence. and they get, they get information to help them with an advantage in the war. And this is, we're in warfare, ladies and gentlemen. We're, the enemy is trying to take us, dead or alive, right? If we're alive, he wants to render us useless. Uh, he wants to, if we're dead, he wants to take us spiritually dead, make us spiritually dead. So, so we're in this war. So I just want to give you some, some things before we, next week we'll start on some of our offensive uh, maneuvers. But one of the things that we, can do is understand how he how he's coming at us and what we can be uh prepared for i mean this even happens in sports sports team they send out scouts you know whether it's baseball basketball football uh hockey soccer they send out scouts to determine what a team's strengths and weaknesses are you better believe that we're going to be sending out the browns are going to be sending out scouts depending on who we play. I don't know if we play in Jacksonville or Houston or whomever, but when, when that's determined, if it hasn't already been, there's going to be film. There's going to be analysis of film. There's going to be analysis of the analysis of film because people just want to know how to exploit a team's weakness. And warfare, how do you exploit an enemy's weakness? Where are they weak? Where are they vulnerable, right? Where are they exposed? Where is an area that we can concentrate our attack? We don't want to play to their strengths, right? We want, to, we want to try to find a way to take advantage of their weaknesses and get an advantage. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that we don't want the enemy to get an advantage of us. We don't want him to, to, to expose or be aware of our weaknesses and then exploit that. You all with me? 
So listen to this. This is going to be short and sweet and to the point. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3. This is the first time we're introduced to our enemy on this side of creation. The enemy started, according to passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel, the devil was at play and at work prior to his introduction to humanity on earth. We don't know a lot about that. We have some passages, but we don't know the whole story. But, but we do know when he made his, at least according to scripture, his inaugural appearance on earth. And we find that in Genesis 3. And here's what happened. And here's how we can know how he operates. It says in Genesis 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty. That's the New American Standard uh, rendition of it. The King James uses the word subtle. And I thought crafty probably is a better word in terms of us understanding it today. Subtle today for us means different things. But crafty is typically never used in a positive connotation, right? Crafty is always negative. Sneaky, you know, uh, uh, just kind of like creepy, <laughs> whatever, weird. It, it's always nefarious, correct? So crafty typically is used in a in negative connotation, and is no, there's no exception here. He was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, now, obviously, let me just explain this. Obviously, Satan, snakes are not Satan, okay? So don't misinterpret. All snakes aren't bad. Well, well, let me put it like this. All, all dead snakes are not bad. But, <laughs> but, uh, but snakes in and of itself was not the enemy. It just seemed to have been the mode of communication that the enemy tried to take that he used. Don't ask me why. Scripture doesn't tell us. We have no intelligence on why of all the beasts of the field, because it says here, you know, that he was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Why the enemy chose a snake or a serpent, we don't really know. We're not even 100% sure that the two are the same thing in this particular context. Uh, that a serpent was a snake, you know, that could that could talk to Eve. However, this animal was possessed by the devil. And you say, well, do we have any other president, Pastor Will, of the devil possessing or infiltrating animals? And yeah, we do, right? Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the boy, and he and he and he and he he said they asked they asked the Lord, you know, don't don't send this essentially to the pit or whatever, but he said, let us inhabit these swine. And so he let them go into the swine. The swine went down to the lake and drowned themselves. So we know that the devil can be allowed to possess with God's permission, with God's boundaries that the, the enemy can't possess an animal. That, that in and of itself is kind of scary. Uh, hopefully that's not something that we see taking place today very often, right? I mean, we don't, we don't see demon-possessed animals unless you want to count the raccoons that's always in my backyard uh, trying to get in our garbage can. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, we don't see much uh, evidence of it. But, but be that as it may, the point is, is that the enemy is talking to the woman in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 3, and it says, I'm in verse 1 still, it says, Indeed has God said, you shall not eat of any of 
any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. I'm just going to stop right there because that's all I'm going to get a chance to get cover this morning because I don't want to go too deep into this. Uh, we know that she misquoted what the Lord said over in in uh, Genesis chapter 2. I mean, imagine you only got one rule. You know, you only got one rule that you have to observe. And uh, and the Lord gives the, the Lord gives Adam that rule in Genesis 2.15. I'm going to read it real quick just so that you'll know what his only uh, limitation was. Imagine having the whole world at your disposal. Can you imagine this, guys? I don't know what part of the world Garden of Eden is in. Many have suggested that it's over in the Middle East somewhere, uh, somewhere in the Palestinian area perhaps. Could have been in, in uh, northern Africa. Uh, there's a lot of theories about where Eden actually was physically located. You have these sort of geographical landmarks of the Euphrates River was involved. And so people have tried to reverse engineer where the Garden of Eden may have been. But you got to remember, all of these designations are pre-flood uh, designations. We don't know what happened after the flood. We're, we're talking in Genesis 3. The flood occurred, I think, in Genesis 5 or 6. I mean, the earth could have been completely rearranged. You know, you have something catastrophic like a flood that is a worldwide flood. You know, I know the haters, they say that the flood was localized or regionalized. It wasn't. It was worldwide. And I won't get into that argument right now. Uh, the point is, is that the earth was probably destroyed, or at least geographically in some areas. We don't know exactly where the oceans were, where the land masses were. There could have been a complete rearrangement of the uh, configuration of the earth. Be that as it may, we know for a fact that the Lord had the Garden of Eden somewhere here on earth. Amen? I mean, it could have been Youngstown. We don't really know. Uh, <laughs> But wherever it was, the Lord had the Garden of Eden here on earth. And here's the rules that, according to Genesis 2.15, that God limited Adam and Eve to. Uh, he said this to Adam specifically. I'm not sure Eve was created yet, but we know that Adam was. And watch what it says here in the, in the, uh, in the Bible in Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. By the way, do you notice how a lot of times in history, Critical events occur in a garden. We, we have here the fall of man occurred in a garden. Jesus was, was, was uh, apprehended prior to his resurrection in a garden. He was praying prior to that in the garden of Gethsemane. There, there are gardens mentioned in Revelation when, he, when we did our study in Revelation the apocalyptic period where there were gardens that things occurred. So, and, and there are other places throughout scripture where it seems like gardens are, are, are kind of uh, important in terms of where God makes a move or where certain things occur. And I thought this was interesting that this too was, was a garden. We think of gardens as beautiful, peaceful places of tranquility. I mean, stuff be going down in gardens. Don't ever underestimate <laughs> The, the violence that can occur in a garden, right? So, so here, here it says in verse 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, just, just one rule, just one commandment. You see the word command. So this was not an option. This was not a suggestion. This was not something that was arbitrary, right? 
It's just, it was a command. You must do this. Here's what it says. This is so beautiful. It says that from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but watch verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now we could dissect that and talk about what death really meant in this context. Obviously, it wasn't physical death, right? Because, I mean, Adam lived to be 930 years old, according to Scripture. We don't know how long Eve lived. I would assume somewhere perhaps in that same category, 900 years. And we're not talking fake years. We're not talking partial years. We're not talking some sort of Mideastern years. We're talking literal 365-day years. Wow. You know, it, it, it somehow I went from 930, well, Medusa made it to 969. Oldest man recorded in scripture. It went from, somehow I went from 969 to three score and 10. And some of us don't get three score and 10, right? So it says that he gave them one rule to observe and Adam blew it. One rule, one commandment, not 10, not 10 commandments, one commandment. And Adam messed up. I, I, I brought that point out to say this. It's not so much how many rules and regulations there are that we are, are confronted with. It's, is our heart, is our heart in the right place to want to obey God, whether there's 10 rules, 1,000 rules, or one rule? It, it goes to show that if we can't keep one if we can't be obedient to God in something as simple as don't eat of this one tree. I mean, you have all these other trees, vines. Who, who else knows? I, I don't know all the other ways that Adam captured food. I don't know if he was, did fishing. I don't know if he did hunting. I doubt he did hunting because we don't see evidence of skins being made until after the fall in Genesis 3. But the point is, is that he named and identified the fish, the birds, the trees, the leaves, the flowers. The guy had a memory, had a brain like out of this world. I mean, computer-esque when you think of the kind of, you know, re reception and, and, and recall he had and to name these things. So the, the world was uncorrupted by sin. So here he is. He's given us one rule. And the enemy comes and says, and I'm assuming, by the way, Adam is there with Eve. I know the Bible mentions Eve. So women, no discrimination here. Adam mentions Eve. And the Bible says later on in the New Testament that Eve was deceived, but Adam was disobedient. Which suggests to me, and I'm not saying that this was the case, but that Adam knew what he should do and did the opposite anyway. And Eve probably knew what she should do, but somehow she was deceived by what the devil said. Well, they both were deceived, really, because they both fell for that particular trick, which is what the devil used, which I categorize as deceit. He used disinformation to cause doubt. And that doubt, of course, led to their final removal from the garden. So the devil tried to get her to question what God had said, and that's the beginning or the origin of sin today. That's what the devil does today. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
The enemy tries to find one of those avenues to get us to disobey God. It's all about, listen, the enemy is all about getting us to disobey God. He doesn't want us to believe God. He doesn't want us to follow God. He doesn't want us to obey God. All of his efforts are around getting us to do the exact opposite of what God wants us to do. If God wants us to go up, the adversary wants us to go down. If God wants us to go right, the enemy wants us to go left, right? So it's all about disobeying God. So that's the way he comes at Adam and Eve and his tricks, his colors, his techniques, his strategies have not changed because that's the way he operates today. And I'm here to give you some good news this morning as I close. The good news is that although the devil may be crafty, Genesis 3.1, he may render himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11.14, although he may have taken the position of a serpent, Revelation 20, verse 12, although he may be the great deceiver, Revelation 12, 9. But we know of all the things that he is, according to Jesus and John 8, 44, dude is a murderer. John 8, 44 says he was a murderer from the beginning. He instigated the first murder of Cain killing Abel, and he instigated all the murders since then. That's the devil's MO, to kill to steal, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do. And he's doing that today. And so my, my word of encouragement about how the devil, about how we can be victorious over the devil is to, number one, let's not put ourselves in a position where we're engaging him. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say entertain him. It doesn't say engage him. It doesn't say question him. Eve should not have ever engaged in a dialogue. When the enemy came to her and said, have God said, she should have shut things down right there. Devil, I rebuke you. I will not talk to you. I will not interchange dialogue with you we have nothing to discuss somehow even if she didn't know all of his attributes and all of his ways she should have known this information is contrary to what God has said you don't have to be a Bible scholar you don't have to know Hebrew and Greek you don't have to be a theologian you know if God didn't say it then it's not true and if this is not from God, then it's not to be complied with. That should have been all the witness. That should have been all the clues she needed that this was not good information. Yes, ma'am. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so, so for for those for those of you on Zoom, Sister Rose Royale think that I'm blaming females for this. No. I am blaming, I am blaming mankind. Sin is universal, right? 
the, actually, if anybody were to get blamed, it would be Adam because the law, the commandments came to Adam, right? That's what we just shared in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Adam got, actually, Eve got the information secondhand. She got the message after the message was delivered to the primary recipient. By the way, our information that we get from the Lord is not secondhand anymore. It's firsthand. God has spoken, and we believe it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't have to accept secondhand information. Matter of fact, I, I very much just really impress on you. I implore you to be Bereans, Acts 17, 11. When you hear the word, go home and study the word and check out the word and make sure it lines up with the word. Regardless of who's behind this desk, your job is to be personally responsible for the information that you receive. Amen. 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 I don't care who it is, me and anybody else. You know, if Paul himself was here, you should go home and check out what Paul says and make sure it lines up with what God says. And if it doesn't line up to what God says, don't believe it. Amen. Because we won't be able to stand before the Lord and say, hey, I got bad information. Okay. You know, bad information won't cut it. We're, we're responsible. So, so let me give you this last point of, of good news to everybody. Genesis 3.15. Here's what you should know. Number one, Jesus will crush the head of Satan. I said it last week. I'll reiterate it this week. We win. We win. It's a fixed fight. We win. It is a fixed fight. It's David and, uh, David against Goliath, and, and Jesus is on the side of David. We win. We always win according to him. We are more than conquerors, Romans 8 says. Sister Marie saying so well, through Christ Jesus. So Jesus, we got this information right in the beginning of the Bible that Jesus will crush the head of Satan in Genesis 3.15, the first prophetic prophecy of our salvation, the first prophetic prophecy of our victory. Okay, here's number two. You with me? Okay, number two. The Lord intercedes for us. Listen what it says in Luke 22.32. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's about when Satan was going to... Let me turn to it and read it for you. Uh, why don't you guys turn to it too? Luke 22 is about when Peter was... Uh, being tempted to say the wrong thing about the Lord and uh, start, uh, start cussing and carrying on. <laughs> and here's what, uh, here, here's what the Lord said to him. Here's what the Lord said. Peter said, you know, hey, I, I'm never going to forsake you. He said, I'm, I'm always with you. And I want to be on, you know, uh, in your kingdom and sit on your right hand and so forth. And here's what the Lord said to, to this guy, Simon Peter. Uh, Mr. Uh, I got the answer to all things. Here's what the Lord said to him in verse 31 of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission. That's the New American Standard. The King James says that, that's, uh, the King James says, uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you uh, like wheat. In other words, he wants to shred you, dude. And, and that's what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to shred us. 
He wants to sift us. He wants to wipe us out. But here's what the beautiful thing is. Here's the good news I have for you this morning. First Sunday, in, first Sunday of the new year. First Sunday of the new year, Sister Janice Smith. And I love it. The, the, he says, but I have prayed for you. How many of you know Jesus? <laughs> How many of you know that we have the greatest intercessor? We have the greatest person. We have the greatest God. We have the highest priest. We have the king of kings. We have royalty. We have deity interceding on our behalf. And he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That to me is great news. I know, listen, listen, you, we're out there. We're in the battle. We're in war in January 2024. But, but you all need to know that we are victorious because the Lord has prayed for our, our, our safety, not only our safety, but he has prayed for our victory, our salvation. Amen. I love this. He said, Satan, hey, you're going to come back. You're going to be all right. And when you get back, you're going to be stronger than you were when you left. You're going to be stronger than you were before you fell. And of course, we know that Peter failed miserably. He denied the Lord three times. Uh, before the rooster crowed twice, and he just fell, and, and he was cussing and fussing and going through all kinds of changes. Man, oh man, don't, don't, don't worry. God can use broken, damaged vessels, right? Isn't it a great thing? Isn't it really amazing that God uses faulty, defective people? God uses people with flaws. Isn't it great that we don't have to be perfect? Man, oh man, we should be jumping and dancing that. Thank God that I still have worth to you. I still have value, Lisa, Rick. I still have value and worth because the Lord doesn't need me to be perfect. He makes me perfect. It is he that is in you that's, that does his goodwill. It says over in, um, I'm thinking of Philippians chapter 2. Actually, actually, it's worth reading that. It's worth reading that just so that I don't butcher it. You guys need to hear this because this is the Lord has does, that's doing the work in us. Here's what it says in Philippians 2. I'm going to read it here uh, just to give you this piece of encouragement before I sit down. Uh, he says in Philippians chapter 2, um, uh, verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, watch this, both to will and to work his good pleasure. So God's doing it. God is doing it. Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus made sure that Peter was going to come out okay on the other side. And then the last point of good news, the last one of good news on this first Sunday of the year that you guys should be really pumped and excited about is over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This is probably the most, uh, most exciting thing. Ephesians 1, 3. Turn to that real quick, and then I'm going to let you go, and we're going to take the Lord's table. Ephesians 1, 3. You guys got it? Ephesians 1.3, this is just so beautiful. It says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just, here's the key, verse 4. Just as he, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wow. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. And then the next verse, the next verse, it says, he predestined us to the adoption as his, as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his, according to the kind intention of his will. Let me tell you what that means in plain English. 
because even in the New American Standard, it's not as clear as I would like it to be, but I want to just let you know what it says in 21st century English. That even before, watch this, even before Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve blew it, y'all with me? Because I'm going to sit down with this. Even before Genesis 3, even before the tree, even before the serpent, watch this, even before Adam was created in Genesis, even before all of that, the Lord had worked out our salvation before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1 and 1, somewhere in eternity past, God said, I'm going to save Sister Annie. <laughs> Even before the foundation of the world, God said, you know what? I'm going to save Kevin Price. I got this worked out for him. He, he's not even a twinkle in his great, great, great grandparents' eyes, but I'm saving him. I'm securing him. I'm establishing his salvation and that he has been declared as my property. As Kurt Franklin said, God's property. Boy, oh boy, I'm excited. You should be excited. You are God's property. You belong to God, and he didn't just come to this conclusion a few minutes ago. <laughs> he didn't just come to this conclusion when you were born 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? He came to this conclusion before our great-grandparents were born, before Adam was created. God decided, these are my people. I love you. I'm saving you. I'm keeping you. I'm preserving you, and you're good with me. And I can use you, flawed, defective, failing, faltering, worthless, bumbling, fumbling. <laughs> God says, I'm good with that. I can deal with that. I can handle that. That's great. It's those people that think that they're perfect that I can't work with. But you guys, you guys that are broken, damaged goods, I can work with you. You're right where I want you. You're where I can use you. You're where I can be glorified through you. You're where I can be lifted up through you. You're where I'm exalted through you. I got to sit down because I'll keep going. Just remember that. Just remember that. Oh, man. God is so good. God is so good. Amen. Amen. How many are encouraged by God's word?